Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. My name is David. I'm not the pastor here. Um, I, I work at Highlands Church. Uh, they asked if I would share with you guys a little bit about Highlands. I know that's primarily not why you're here, so I'll try to be brief. Um, when I talk to folks about Highlands, um, who don't go to Highlands, I, I generally kind of use three buckets. Um, the first is this. I tell them, we want to be a church of the community. Um, we're a local church. We're a neighborhood church. Um, and we want the way um, that we relate to each other as a church um, to be like a family. Uh, we believe the New Testament, that's the primary words um, that the New Testament uses to describe the relationship that people who follow Jesus are supposed to have, right? God's our father. Jesus is our brother. We are God's children. We're each other's brothers and sisters. And so we try to use the family as the model for how we connect. And what I say is like family's not always friends, um, but family is always there, right? For good or for bad. Um, at least the right kind of family is. And so we have, uh, about, we took about a year to try to figure out if we were going to tell people in one sentence what was Highlands. And we decided our one sentence was to be a part of Highlands Church, all you got to do is just show up. Just show up is what we say. And so um, we, we want to create environments where people can just show up like family. And we want to be like family because family just shows up, right? Some of you guys know that in the negative way. They just show up no matter what. And so part of Highlands is like I tell people we're a jalapeno church. We're jalapeno business, right, all the time. That was, wow. It's a 9 o'clock joke apparently. Um, so... We, um, we, we get involved in each other's lives. You can't hide at Highlands, right? One of the things we make people do that I'm going to test out a little bit, we'll see how much time we have today, is that when people come to Highlands, we take breaks in the sermon to make them talk to each other. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to talk to each other. And so here's my rule. You don't have to talk to the people next to you, but if you don't talk to them, you have to say this. I don't come to church to talk to people. That's what you have to say. All right. Now, some people don't, right? Like one of the things that I've learned church planning, being in a church, being in bigger churches, smaller churches, is some people want to come to church and be anonymous. Now, I would argue that I'm not sure that you're coming to church if you're coming to church to be anonymous, but, but that's up to you. Today, all I'm going to say is you got to just admit that you don't want to talk to people at church. Um, so that's <laughs> already, already really winning converts here, aren't I? Um, so the second thing I tell people about us is I say we're a church that's building communities. Um, so when I came to Stonebridge, when I was at Stonebridge, I would, I would have told you guys, this is the best church I've ever been a part of. Like, that's what I would say. Like, this is the best church I've ever been to. It's, I, I love everything about it. And here's what I learned during that time. Even at the best church I'd ever been to, there were still people that didn't want to come to church with me. There were still people that because of pain that they have dealt with, because of stereotypes that they have about the church, because of whatever, like, they're not going to walk even, they're not going to walk into even the best church. And so because we believe that real transformation ultimately happens relationally, at Highlands, one of the things we try to do is we try to build church outside of church. And, and we believe that happens when, um, when we, as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, walk into the world, engaging every relationship purposefully to grow and to provide growth. And that can happen anywhere as long as we're talking and listening to God and people at the same time. So that's something we try to generate um, in our people, and that's something we're working on. Then the last thing is we want to be a church to the community. Um, and that's a little bit of what I'm going to talk about the, the, today. When I say a church to the community, what I mean is we want to embody what it means for the church to be the light of the world in, the city, in a city on a hill. right? We want to be able to, to, to be a model to the world 
of what Christ-like care would look like for them. If they were to give their lives to God, how would he treat them? So right now, today, the people at my church, they sang together and worshiped together just like you guys did. But then what they did was they put together um, encouragement packs for teachers all around Marietta as they go back to school. And so that's what they did instead of a sermon today. Um, because we want to create a space where, where people value that service to people is an act of worship. Um, and so, I, and I have permission to do this. I, I would say uh, we do that every fourth Sunday. And I would encourage all of you to just pull one fourth Sunday and come visit that and just be a part of that. Because I think if Highlands is called as a church to plant anything into other churches, I think it's that. And you don't have to do it in this space, but you could do it in your home and you could do it with your neighbors and you could begin to serve as the light of the world as a city on a hill. So anyway, that's what we're going to talk about because that's a big part of what it means to be Highlands. And to do that, we're going to look at um, a very, very familiar part of scripture. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. All right. And so in Matthew chapter 5, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and it includes something called the Beatitudes, which are probably the second most known part of the Sermon on the Mount after the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to talk a little bit about that, all right? So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. Town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I said, I'm going to ask you guys questions today. I'm going to give you a couple of things to talk about. And part of that is because I love to ask questions, right? It's an easy way. People think I'm an extrovert. I'm not a great extrovert. I'm just really good at asking questions. And then you just get to be quiet while the other person talks. But, um, but so part of that, that's part of what we do in our family is I love to ask our kids questions. I love to kind of find an angle. Um, and they love to ask questions back. We've kind of raised question askers. And one of the questions my kids used to love to ask me when they were little um, was they would say, Dad... If you could live anywhere, where would you live, right? You ever ask that question? If you could live anywhere, where would you live? And being a dad, dad never, dads never give straight answers to their kids. This is what I would say. I would say, I can't live anywhere. That's the beauty of being an adult, right? With a little bit of work, a little bit of time, I can live anywhere. I can live anywhere I want. I can't live how, however I want, but I can live wherever I want. And I live here because I love here. I love being from here. I am born and raised in Georgia, not in Marietta. My wife, my wife's born and raised in Marietta, but I was born and raised in Georgia, lived in Georgia pretty much all of my life. And I love Georgia. Does anybody else, do you guys love Georgia? People love Georgia, right? Like Georgia's great, right? You can, you can get to the beach. You can get to the mountains. You can get to one of the busiest like metropolises in all the world. 
right? There's all kinds of great things that are from here. There's all kinds of great people that are from here. I love being from Georgia, right? And, and I, I was thinking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago as I met this young woman and we were talking and she had moved here and a lot of people move here because it's great to be from here. And I asked her where she was from and she said, well, I'm originally from Charlotte. And I was like, okay, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Charlotte's fine. It's like, the Eagles landing of North Carolina, right? Like it's, I'm sure they got like three or four great Paneras. Anybody, anybody from Charlotte? Anybody from Charlotte? I'm sorry. I'm just picking on Charlotte. Charlotte's fine. But you know, so I made small talk with her for a few minutes before I said what I was really wanting to ask her. And I said, so do you root for the Panthers? Right? Because that's what matters to me. Because if you root for the Carolina Panthers, I know everything about you that I need to know. And you know what she said? She said, no, I root for the Falcons. And, and that was it. That was all I needed to know. She was from here. She was family. It didn't matter where she called home. She was from here because that's what tells me you're from here. Because if you root for the Falcons, you know what I feel. <laughs> right? You know that the numbers 28 and 3 aren't just numbers. They are something that has scarred us for life. And that's, for me, what makes you from here. If you have experienced the sports scars that I have experienced, the infield fly, right, the third and 27, right, if you've experienced them, then you're from here. So here's my first question for you guys. We always give an early, the early question is the easy question, all right? So here's your chance. Remember, you get two things. You can say, you can either answer this question, or you can say, I don't talk to people at church, all right? Here's your question. How do you decide if somebody's from here? Is it whether or not they drink sweet tea? Is it if they order Pepsi products? Like, how do you decide if somebody's from here? Go. You got about a minute. Go. It's always the hard part at Highlands, too. So first off, you guys did a really good job. You did a really good job talking to each other. I'm proud of you. Hope I didn't just shame you into it. You did a great job. Um, some of you guys are like, I don't care if somebody's from here. That's because you're not from here. All right? So <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big question when it's personal to you. Right? It means something different. It's a big question for people who follow Jesus. Right? How can you tell if somebody's from here? How can you tell if somebody's from that kingdom? How can you tell if somebody's from that place? So it's not easy. We're not, we're not like the other big monotheistic religions. We're not like Judaism or Islam in that way, which where the way you dress and even who your parents were and, and, geogra- and geography and all those things are, are ways to tell. Right? The, the center and practice of our faith has moved significantly over the years. It's adapted. Right? Where, where Christianity was, was once centered in certain areas, it has is, it is constantly moved along over the centuries. And where certain specific practices were important over one time, those things have often changed. Right, That's what it means for our faith to be incarnational. And then in the U.S., you, you add into that, that that a lot of people would say, I'm not saying I agree with this or you should, but a lot of people would say that the United States is a Christian country, which, which comes along with its own set of difficulties, right? Well, well, what does that mean? And, and what does that mean about me if I, if I call myself a Christian, right? And, and on top of all of this, in Christianity, God's primary mode of conversion is not a book. It's not a tradition, right? It's not a philosophy that people listen to. It is people that are supposed to look like Jesus leading to the conversion of other people that start to look like Jesus, And those who walk around publicly with the name Christian are are pretty regularly criticized by others with statements like, oh, that's really Christ-like. 
Or I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Right? So all this begs the question, how do you know? Like, how do we know if we're from here, if we're from the place of Jesus? And I think because that's something that we struggle with, we've, we've, we've used a lot of wrong ways to answer that question. Right? Some places it's a dress code. Right? Uh, like last week, I wore this this week. I was super nervous. I asked David Eldridge for permission. And, and I realized that I'm just dressing like Bo, so I'm probably fine. So, <laughs> but last week, I wore this to my church, the place where you're supposed to just show up. And one of my coworkers, as I walked in the door, said, is that what you're wearing to preaching? And no one says that because they're like, I love what you're wearing to preach. <laughs> and she also knew that I don't change clothes when I show up at the church. So I was like, yeah, this is what I'm wearing, right? It, and, but, but sometimes we're in that space, right? The dress code shows whether you get it or not. Sometimes it's our voting record that we use to determine. Sometimes it's the church you attend, right? And what I would say is these, these, those aren't great ways to understand if somebody's from here. But the Sermon on the Mount is a great start to understanding if we're from here. And I'd encourage you guys to read the whole thing and and to use it as an evaluative tool, mostly for yourself before others, right? The speck and plank and all that. But but today, we're not going to go over the whole thing. We're going to start with with the foundation, which is this piece of chapter 5. And I think when we look at this part, we can find really three identifiable and universally applicable aspects of what it means to be from here, of what it means to be from Jesus. The first thing that I think we can see Jesus show us is the primary values of a Christian. The second thing is the cultural purpose of a Christian. And the third thing is the binary result of being a Christian. And we're going to spend the bulk of the time on, on the first one. We're going to spend the bulk of the time on this idea, the basic values of a Christian for two reasons. One is that the Beatitudes really are foundational to understanding everything else that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And the second is that the Beatitudes are incredibly contrary to most of how our world lives. And if we gloss over those, we, we can miss it because we've heard them so much and because we're so familiar with them. So let's, let's look at those. Let's look at the basic values of being a Christian as expressed in the Beatitudes. And, and one really good way to understand this is that theologians um, across the centuries have referred to the Beatitudes as expressing the upside-down kingdom of God, the upside-down world. This is before Stranger Things. All right, yeah? So... This is this idea that there is certain, there's a natural way and a natural value, the way the world works and the Beatitudes in Jesus's time and across time, turn those things upside down. So there's a slide that's going to come up and really it's just a, a comparison of values that make sense to the world and values that Jesus is asking us to grab hold of in his upside-down kingdom. So I'm going to talk first about the values that make sense to the world because I think the Beatitudes, they just roll um, through our head pretty quickly at this point. So when you think about values that make sense to the world, self-confidence, right, is a, world, is a worldly value. Self-competence is a value that, that the world says, yes, you should have that. Self-reliance is something that the world values. And in the midst of that, Jesus says that you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. 
right? He doesn't say you're blessed if you're poor. He does say that other places. But in this place, he puts specifically that modifier in spirit on there. And, and so if you're poor physically, it means you don't have any money in your bank account, right? But if you're poor spiritually, it means that you're spiritually bankrupt. And, and one of the ways we can tell that this value is really different is that every faith in the world besides Christianity if I were to appear before God, would weight my good and bad behavior. It would make the argument that I'm not perfect and I've done bad things, but if my good things outweigh my bad, if my spiritual bank account is in the black, then I'm good. I get in. Right? That's every faith system in the world except Christianity. Because Christianity says... I have no money in the bank spiritually. I have none. I have nothing that merits your blessing. Right? It's not just that Christianity believes that we're sinners. Everybody believes we're sinners for the most part. Right? Christianity says even the good things I do are ultimately done for bad reasons. My sinfulness is inescapable and defining to me. And I'm not self-anything. And I don't want to be viewed as self-anything. Because it's nothing but filthy rags. Right? That's the value that God espouses. Right? The world says you should be fat and happy. You should gloat. Be comfortable. Right? This is something that you should pursue in your life. Comfort and happiness. And you should know that if you're comfortable and if you're happy, God probably likes you. But Jesus says you're blessed if you mourn. Right? You mourn because you've lost things. You mourn because you have nothing. You mourn because you're repentant. And Jesus says that's valuable. The world values being proud, being powerful, being important being recognized as all those things. And Jesus says, no, the real blessing is if you're meek, if you're forgotten, if you're low, if people mistake you as weak because you're meek. The world says, be satisfied, be well-adjusted, right? Be practical, and Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't do a good job with the word righteousness. It's weird. It makes us uncomfortable. We usually make it negative. We say self-righteousness, right? It's almost always attached to it. But what Jesus says is you need to be hungry and thirsty for what's righteous. And what is righteous? The Sermon on the Mount tells us. Love, integrity, justice, trust, inner peace. Jesus says, you need to long for this so much you would beg for it because you know you don't have it, but you can't numb yourself against your need for it. That's valuable when you feel that way. The world says you need to be able to take care of yourself. You have made it when you can take care of yourself because after all, that's who God helps. God helps those who... Help themselves, right? Kind of the, the, some people say it this way. Facts don't care about your feelings, right? But Jesus says, be merciful. Be merciful because you need mercy. 
And that's the way that road works. You don't get mercy if you don't give mercy. Right? The world wants us to be sophisticated. The world wants us to make sure that we're relevant. Right? Be balanced. Don't be kind of crazy Christian. Be sort of middle ground Christian. And Jesus says, no, be pure in heart. Be pure in heart. Be singular. Because that's when you'll see God. When you do that. The world says, be competitive. And don't just be competitive. Be a winner. That's how I know most of the world is not from Atlanta. The world says, be a winner, right? And Jesus says, no, be a peacemaker. Like, value peacemaking above winning. In our world, our world especially says, be popular and be well-liked because that is the end of everything. If you're popular, if you're well-liked, if you get all the good invitations, be that. And Jesus says, no, it's more valuable and blessed to be persecuted. Bottom line is this, Jesus values weakness, sacrifice, discomfort, grief, and exclusion. That's what it means to be from here, to to place a high value on those things. And here's the problem for us is we do everything we can to avoid all those things I just said. It is unnatural to value those things, right? It is weird. It will for sure set you apart. Because most of what we value is right now. And all those things are not about right now. They're about something bigger, something eternal. Right? You know, the primary cause of doubting God is things not going the way we we want them to right now. It's just natural. Right? But but what the Sermon on the Mount says, what the Beatitudes say, what Jesus is saying is that if we're going to be from him, we can't live for now and eternity at the same time. You will get what you aim for. Wherever your heart is, your treasure will be. There's a biblical commentator, Michael Wilcock, and he talks about it this way. He says, in the life of God's people, it will be seen first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. Listen to this. He says, the people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world depicts is valuable. What if being from here means giving up power, giving up protection, giving up comfort, giving up vacation, giving up me time and me money? and valuing, and pursuing, and embracing the other. So, so some of these things are things we go after. Some of them are just the fruit, honestly, of going after the Lord. But the question here is, what do you value? Right? And, and one good way to determine that is to just ask yourself this. We won't do this in a group, but to ask yourself this. What makes you doubt God? What makes you doubt God in your current life right now? And what do the Beatitudes say about that? If you begin to value the things of God, right, your doubts about God will change. And who you value will change. And you will stand out for sure. And that's the second 
part, right? Because as you start to embrace these values, there's a second thing that you'll start to embrace, and that's the cultural purpose of a Christian, right? And the cultural purpose of a Christian, Jesus says, is to be salt, to be light, and to be a city on a hill. And man, do we miss this one. When we think about the cultural purpose of a Christian, we tend to think about three things. We either think the cultural purpose of a Christian is to fight everybody, right? To to get in fights, to run from anybody who's not like us and just kind of huddle and make our own things and do our own things to protect ourselves and our own. Or to just not make waves and be cool because people need to know Jesus is cool. So Jesus says no. He says it's salt. He says it's light. And he says it's a city on a hill. Three things about those really quick. Salt, right? Salt was a preservative primarily in Jesus' day. And so a preservative, what you did was you put it into things that were falling apart and decaying, and it preserved them. It held them together. And so for Jesus to say you are the salt of the earth is to say run towards things and people who are falling apart. Run towards things and people who are falling apart. Light, you know what light does? It shines in darkness, right? So Jesus is saying, you need to go and shine where people are in the dark. And then the last thing is, as a city, as a community of people gathered together, your community needs to be a refuge for the lost and the hurting. Right? That's what really valuing the Beatitudes will allow you to be. All of those things. A place for people who fall apart. A place for people in darkness. A place for people who need refuge. And the reason you'll be that isn't because you're better than them. The reason you'll be that is because you'll realize that that's where blessing exists and God is for them. And how can you follow him and not be for them? You can't be from here and not go there. So I'm going to get you guys to talk about this one, all right? So I'm going to give you the third one. You got about a minute to talk about it. It'll be quick, all right? Who do you need to run towards that you're avoiding? Who's fallen apart? Who's in darkness? Who needs refuge that you need to start running towards and you've been avoiding? It's hard. I get it. I got I, all the calls I got this week. I did not want to answer. I just wanted to watch the Braves game. I get it. But I also knew that this is what it is. To be from here. This is what it is to embrace purpose. So you guys go. Who do you need to run towards that you're avoiding? Go ahead. You got about a minute. So good for y'all. So part of the reason I made you ask, part of the reason I made you ask was now you're on the hook, right? Now you have accountability, right? That, that, this is the family of God, you guys. This is, this is what it is. This is why I don't think you can come to church and not talk to anybody. Like this is what it is, right? So you're doing a great job, by the way. So the, the third piece is really, like, how do I know? Like, how can I tell? Like, I want that. I, w- I want, you know, I, I, want, I want to embrace those values as my values. I want to be salt and light and a city, but, but I'm not going to do it perfectly, right? Because that's just who we are. So, so how do I know if I'm embracing it? And, and, and that's where you see the binary results of being a Christian. You will see more and more of these two things in your life. If you're from here, you will see, it's like, I can't help but live and die with every pitch that the Braves throw, right? Like I can't help it anymore. It's just a result of being from here. And so this will happen for you. The binary results of being a Christian are this, persecution and praise for the name of Jesus, 
right? And it's both, and it's for the name of Jesus. I want to say this. If all you're getting is persecution, it's probably not because of Jesus. It's probably just because you're obnoxious, (laughs) right? Because you got both. And if all you're getting is praise, it's probably not because of the name of Jesus. It's probably just because you like to be well-liked. Because he got both. Right? Here's the truth. If you really look at those Beatitudes, if you value the Beatitudes, if you, if you seek to make those the values of what you think is going to last, it's going to make people really not like you. There are people, because it's going it's it's, it's to reflect to them that all those things they're pursuing are not worth it. Right? You might lose a job. You're for sure going to lose some invitations. You're going to lose some awards. You're going to be forgotten, meek. You're going to mourn. But on the other side, pursuing what it means to be salt and light in a city on a hill, it is going to make people love you. But it's mostly going to be people who are in the throes of the Beatitudes because those people need you. They need you, right? You are Jesus's plan. We said this at the beginning. Like people looking like Jesus. And so I I want you guys to know, I don't know all of you and, and there seems each time I come back, there's probably less and less of you that I do know. But I do want you to know that I love, I love you. I love you, Stonebridge. I do. And, and as I was praying for y'all this week, and I was thinking about this message, th- there were really two things that I, I wanted to share with you as a church as, a, as I close. This place is great. It's crazy. Like, I was clearly holding you back. <laughs> it is beautiful and cool. Who would have... Wouldn't it be God who would give David Eldridge a cool church? And... <laughs> He's going to see this, and he? he probably listens to it. But this place is wonderful. But, but the first challenge I would say to you guys is to, don't be too focused on being pretty, Stonebridge. You have way too much to offer the world. Don't set dress codes, formally or informally. Don't ever be like, is that what you're going to wear? Don't do it. Like, don't do it. Don't be here because it's pretty. Be here to be the light of the world. Be here to be a city on a hill. Be here to be the salt of the earth. And then the second thing I would say is don't be known for what or who you're against. Don't be known for what or who you're against. Be known for who you're from. Be known as that. Let that be always the thing that comes to the forefront for you. I'm going to invite Bo and the worship team back up. We have a little bit of time for a response. As I was praying about the prayer response, let me get the prayer teams. You guys can come up too. Um, there are kind of three groups that I wanted to talk to. Just in terms of response, we'll pray for you for anything. We'll pray for you if you need healing. We'll pray for you for anything that doesn't, you don't feel like falls under these categories. That's fine. But specifically for three groups, one is this. I would call you the hiding and the hurting. 
right? You've experienced being broken in spirit. You've experienced mourning. You've experienced meekness and loss and, and all those beatitudes. And what you think is what the world has told you, that those things are happening to you. And it means God doesn't love you. It means you're not blessed. And so you've just sort of pulled back from God because you're like, if God loved me, all these good things would be happening to me. And what I want you to hear is God's voice saying, no, I love you. And I value you most. And I have blessings for you in this brokenness. And so if that's you, if you're hiding and you're hurting, I would say come into the light today. Let us pray for you about that. Second group is this, and I particularly want to talk to the students. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, I think one of the hard things about having parents um, that love the Lord enough to make sure that you're in such a great student ministry in a great environment, one of the hardest things about that is that, is that if you're around that all the time, like God becomes less exciting for you. God becomes less interesting for you. And I think, I'm not saying this is any of you guys, but you may know people like this, is that, is that Christianity kind of becomes your job, right? And, and you get bored and dull with it. You're just like, meh, I guess I'm just supposed to be a good kid and I'll do that. And kind of camp bumps you back up and then you'll get through the year and you'll kind of drop back down, right? Because Christianity is your job. And I want to encourage you guys, I want to encourage everybody with this, but I want to encourage you guys more. Don't look at Christianity as your job. Christianity is your purpose. Your purpose is to be salt and light in a city on a hill. It is absolutely your purpose. It is your purpose now. And if you'll embrace that, if you'll embrace being crazy enough to go to the broken and the hurting and be poured out and trust that Jesus is going to fill you up, even your parents are like, don't tell them to do that. I want them safe. And I get it. I got kids too. I get it. But I don't, I don't know that God's primary goal for you is to be safe. I do know his primary goal for you is to be salt, light, city on a hill. And if you will embrace that, I'm gonna tell you guys, you know a guy named Grayson Strack? Y'all know Grayson? Yeah. Grayson Strack, man, he never got bored with his faith. He wasn't always great at it, he'll tell you. But he never got bored with it because all he did was try to be those things every day. And he got into college and he tried to be those every day. And now he's, he's leaving the country to go be those things every day because he got obsessed with God as his purpose and not at his job. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. Last thing, oh, Bo, shut me up. Last thing. If anything today, you're like, oh, I, I want that or I want to want that. I wish I wanted that. You're hungry and thirsty for righteousness is what I would say. And so we would love to pray for you to be filled because God says that's what's going to happen. So if that's you, we would love to pray for you. So I'm going to pray. ask you guys to stand with me. They're going to worship. We've got prayer teams. We're here to pray for you. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that you're not like the world. God, because there are people that have gotten everything the world has to offer and they despaired to death. And they found their lives meaningless and empty. And some of them even went as far as to take their own lives because everything the world has to offer is not enough. So God, we just thank you now that you're not like the world. And we ask you to forgive us when, when we've asked you to be like the world because we're asking you to be not enough. And so God, forgive us, Lord, and, and renew in us your values, your purpose, God, and your results for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 